It's better to have a lucky general than a good one. And if we learned anything from this game is that Brock Purdy is a lucky general. shop for news views and overreactions to all things nfl we know who's in the super bowl and now the big game is coming the pro bowl so hey we got connor here we've got fitz hello and we got sean hello how are we getting on lads how's all in waterford sean quiet enough getting back to usual after the wedding madness got a bit of a cold there from i think being exposed to so many children over a course of a few days been kind of Winding down to get back to normal life. Uh, my wife was working all weekend, so didn't get out much. There was some sport on, not least the NFL, but also there were others. The FA Cup was on as well. Because you're savoring every game now that clops on the way out. The oh, yeah, way. yeah. It's not fully emotional yet. I think when it gets closer and closer, it's going to... It doesn't feel real yet, I guess. He can still, he can still change his mind, damn it. It's weird. Liverpool fans, you know, they talk about him being a cult, but it really comes out and stuff like this. It genuinely feels like the guy has died, like the way people are talking about him online, when in fact, yeah, he's just a man who's worked too hard in his life and wants to retire and enjoy his millions. We can't tell a guy not to do that, you know. How about yourself? It's how's all in Cork? Nothing too exciting. Obviously, great NFL action, so enjoyed that. Managed to finally go and see poor things. It's very good, very Yorgos Lanthimos. So, is uh, it weirder than the other stuff? I'd say it's maybe slightly weirder, but like not hugely more weirder. The premise is definitely weirder in terms of the actual vibe of it. It's about as weird as you'd expect from them. We're big fans of the great. It's Tony McNamara's writing is more than what's his face, the director. But uh, premise, I just like this. Sounds like the most bizarre thing anyone has ever concocted. Can I chime in on it next week? I've myself and my wife got tickets for it for Thursday, so we'll be watching it then. Uh, Are you familiar with the premises? I I've the very very basic level. So, ladies brought to life by a scientist, vaguely. Yeah, there's yeah. a few details that make it a bit yeah more interesting. <laughs> I'm, I'm basically I'm, I'm trying to not find out very much about it. We can intersect our poor things review with our Pro Bowl review next week. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, I don't think there'll be anything else to cover in next week's podcast anyway, so that's fine. Very good. Yeah, no, quite enough a week here ourselves as well. That um. Dungeons and Dragons on Saturday. That was good fun and very exciting football that we will be talking about in a bit in our reviews. Give a shout out to one of our listeners, Marcus, and his wife, Sarah. Congratulations. They have a, a baby on the way, someone else to join Bill's Mafia. Bose will fling in and have a look at the news to kick off. So the coaching carousel keeps on spinning. Philadelphia have hired former LA Chargers offensive coordinator Kellen Moore to be their offensive coordinator. So kind of a sideways move for him, but obviously there's bigger changes afoot in LA. So I don't think we've got, for certain he was gone, but normally whenever someone comes in as a head coach they bring their own people with them Philly obviously been crying out to sort the kind of collapse they had at the end of last season we talked last week about how Sirianni's here but they're changing all the coordinators and Kellen Moore was seen as kind of a an up-and-coming rising star he was poached away from the Cowboys last season to land over in the Chargers and then had a mediocre season I think is the probably the best way to put it uh, although that was quite a dysfunctional organization overall and Philly are hoping that he'll be able to get some production also I suppose kind of interesting to see that they probably have half an eye on the fact that you know he was someone who the Cowboys had talked up quite a bit so they're kind of pinching him away maybe in a way from Cowboys or for a potential hire for them so that's probably a positive do we like this move I I was never the biggest fan of Kellen Moore but I saw he got a lot of hype and then I think I wasn't madly impressed with the Chargers stuff to be honest and the the Cowboys looked better without him 
I feel a little bit ambivalent about this because both because of the coach hire and where he's going. Time of the Charges is up only because I think Jim Harbaugh is... All his assistants are, have been interviewed as well, so one assumes that they're going to be coming in in some capacity, so I think his time was up regardless. I mean, the big thing is, as you said, the Cowboys' offense improved after he left and the Chargers' offense disimproved. So it's not like he's really in this year, you know, getting away from the Dallas system to prove that he was the guy, didn't really work out at all. And now he's coming to a place which has, you know, gone through two coordinators on both sides of the ball in the past two years, albeit the first set were not necessarily, they were poached as opposed to left. A work environment seems to be increasingly toxic. The ownership and coaches, there seems to be some sort of ongoing feud, a team that collapsed in confidence. It's coming into... A division that now the big rivals are going to be the guys who he left two years ago. It's, it's going to be a strange dynamic, and I don't know the Eagles are the best place to be working next year because I don't know if what we saw maybe was the start of some serious decline, and he could get caught in that. It, it doesn't seem the smartest move on his behalf, and I don't necessarily know what the Eagles are thinking given what he did in LA. It wasn't that impressive? I don't think it's going to work out that well. If he can find some of the early spark that made everyone super hyped about him in his early years at Dallas and reignites Jalen Hurts and gets the Eagles going, and they certainly need to... The big problem, I think, is that their their offensive scheming was way too simple and was figured out too quickly, and maybe he can help make it more complex, whatever. But I, I'm not optimistic that this will work out. It's a very Cowboys move, right, for, for better or worse. You know, get the big names in on both coordinators to support a coach that maybe there's some negative vibes around. So obviously we talked about Vic Fangio being hired as DC last week. Now you get Kellen Moore at OC. And for an OC, this is a big name because an OC is either someone who's be someone who's not been an OC before or they haven't done great because otherwise they'd be a head coach because any OC of any promise is immediately promoted these days. So Kellen Moore's kind of been in that, you know, good but not great zone, like similar to like say Shane Waldron in Seattle. But obviously with Jalen Hurts and the talent they have there, although the offensive line will be missing Jason Kelsey, but outside that they should be able to bring it back. So I think the big thing is trying to take this offense to its next iteration because I think the version of this offense that succeeded so much in 2022 basically figured out by the end of 2023. So Jalen Hurts and Kellen Moore need to get together and start introducing, you know, whatever the, the modern aspects they need are from his uh, scheme, whether that be from the Shannon tree or from Mandy Reed's tree, etc. Uh, but it does need to get better. The defense is a much bigger issue. Now it's the Fangio's thing, but the offense was definitely a problem by the end of the year. Atlanta decided, you know what we like? We like what they've been doing down in LA. No, no, the other team, the Rams. And they've decided to hire out of there. So they've picked up the passing game coordinator Zach Robinson to be their offensive coordinator and the assistant head coach Jimmy Lake to be their defensive coordinator obviously attached to a very successful high-powered McVay offense here and you know and then was assistant head coach so we had a lot of interaction with them and Jimmy Lake coming in as the DC so they're just kind of hoping to bring some of that spark to it and you, you can kind of see the thinking behind this quite a bit they have high-level draft picks sitting at wide receiver tight end running back they don't have a quarterback in place but like the Rams have historically done stuff with maybe mid-tier quarterbacks we'll say I'd, I'd be intrigued to see whether or not this translates because the one thing that they have for the last couple of years and I think under most of the time that Zach Robinson has been there anyway has been good to, to very good games coming out of their quarterback so like Atlanta's problem is not having really a quarterback uh, we'll see how they want to deal with that but the Rams like they got production out of much lower draft pedigree guys you see the performances they get out of the likes of Pukunuku and everything this year and kind of making it work around a couple of superstars which is an interesting angle particularly that they had someone working kind of as an assistant head coach to look at okay we're probably going to be hitting the point where all these 
high draft rookies are maybe going to be coming towards the end of deals and we need to figure out how we can build a team around that fact that we're going to have a couple of ballooning contracts rather than having kind of the age profile of the team working correctly so I'm interested from that to be honest like I'm just I'm just happy to see some people in here who aren't going to be making the same mistakes as their past coach did obvious thing that was going to happen when Raheem Morris who obviously was DC with the Rams was hired away is that he would go to the the McVeigh slash Shanahan tree and obviously in this case he's gone for you know the latest in a long line of McVeigh OCs or other offensive staff who've been hired to take on a big role you know he was only you know past game coordinator for like two years he's only been coaching for like four or five years but in McVeigh's tree that's that's pretty standard right and there's obviously been pretty good successes coming from and that staff in the past, such as Zach Taylor into Cincinnati. That's the huge decision, obviously, is the OC, because Raheem Morris will probably be the, the play caller in DC. So Jimmy Lake's more of a kind of high level assistant with a lot of experience. For Zach Robinson, the big question for him will be what kind of quarterback he will be dealing with, because, you know, trying to get good performance out of like Desmond Ritter is a lot different than trying to get good performance out of like Matt Stafford or a rookie or whatever. But I think based on the profile and success that McVeigh has had, no matter what's been thrown at him, I would imagine it, it, it will be pretty, it'll be good. And this is the offense that works out there. The only problem might be that because that offense is so prevalent now, that defenses are warping to stop exactly those type of, uh, schemes at that same time so you do wonder for the ones who aren't quite as talented we'll see if Zach Robinson obviously don't have enough on him yet that things might turn on them if they don't have the elite QB Buffalo are the only other one that has kind of made a change this week. I'll know it's no change, which is that Joe Brady, the interim offensive coordinator, has been made permanent. Offense took a big uptick after he came in. I think they were averaging something like 24 points versus averaging 17 or 16 beforehand. They've seen improvement. They're happy with what they have. There's more stuff that needs to happen in Buffalo, but I, I suppose this kind of makes sense. Their offense was ticking over a bit better in the back half of the season. They do still need to make some adjustments to that. We talked after the divisional round games about the hero ball and maybe some of the decision making stuff that needs to be tightened up but like I, I suppose it makes sense rather than throwing a new person into there or a new uh, kind of scheme at them or whatever basically like i said Callum Moore ocs it's a reclamation project for joe brady in theory because he was hired as the hot shot oc from lsu and when joe burrow was there to, to under matt rule that didn't work out he kind of lost his job ended up being assistant buffalo gets promoted back to oc and they turned that offense back around especially getting james cook involved more that was a great success then the back half and got them that long streak that got them very close to uh you know the ultimate prize if they hadn't come against patrick mahomes again so yeah like i think he's earned it and he's another guy like if, if buffalo's offense is as good as it was at the back end of this year for the entirety of next year don't be surprised if joe brady's back to being a hot shot oc with potential head coaching rumors put up about him he's only 34 like there's a reclamation project for ocs you know obviously a good situation for him to be in and uh definitely an improvement over what they are we're getting over ken dorsey it's worth noting i mean this what we he could this easily could have been a disaster like a mid-season panic change in in ocs when they were six and six and their season was disintegrating it could have gone very badly but all credit to brady and you know sean mcdermott as well for finding a way to make it work and, and finding a new path forward and yeah they probably were the best team in the back half of the year they just couldn't get it done against the chiefs i guess that'll be his job now find a way to help us get past the chiefs next playoff round making all these oc points but i think i saw a crazy like statistic that there isn't a single oc from the 2020 offseason who's still the OC for the same team. You're either getting, you're either yeah. going up or you're going down if you're an OC these days. Because you know, I think every team 
wants a play caller head coach if they can get it and short leashes for those where it's not going well only playoff relevant injury we have is Kansas City edge rusher Charles Amena who has uh, torn his ACL and he's out for the season doing it this late in the game also probably means that it might affect him at the start of 2024 as well he had a fairly decent season I think he had eight or nine sacks but he had a big one there he got a strip sack on Lamar in the game that we will be talking about big loss for Kansas City who already have a couple of injuries going into it but now there's a two week break until the Super Bowl's Hopefully they can get a few other guys. Well, Ben, who has been playing well for you, he's like he, he started the season being suspended, came back in, I think has a good sack to game ratio, was kind of the number two to Karloftis. You still have Chris Jones, you still have Karloftis, so it's not a disaster. Definitely a loss yeah. for that defensive line. No, of course, of course. And uh, on that cheery note, let's move over and have a look at the games from last week. <laughs> So first up, Kansas City at Baltimore, the AFC Championship game, 70-10 to for the Chiefs. Mahomes kind of got it all done in the first half and then settled back into a very either conservative or game planny, depending on how positive you want to spin it, position in the second half. He had 256 yards and a touchdown. Kelsey went back to very old school Kelsey ways. He had 11 targets, he had 11 catches, 116 yards and a touchdown. Absolute dominance over the middle of the field against the linebackers and one or two nice little ones against corners as well. It was 17-7 at the half and then they just kind of settled in and tried to let the defense do their job. Kansas City defense had a big day. Uh, They got an interception, two fumbles, four sacks, five tackles for a loss. Really just kind of took it to Baltimore shutting down an awful lot of stuff that they wanted to do but Baltimore themselves are going to have some questions here because they made mistakes and I think at times their play calling kind of got away from them so they had two red zone turnovers they had eight flags for 95 yards now one or two of them may have been intentional flags that's very indisciplined for a team that's looking to be in the Super Bowl and I was getting to play at home and everything they also kind of got away from what I thought going into it their script would be if they wanted to succeed which was they have a very good rushing attack and a very mobile quarterback they are facing a mediocre running defense in the Chiefs and we were missing one of our major run stuffers on the line and they had six runs in this game they they did nothing on it Lamar tried to do a lot himself so he had 226 yards passing a touchdown an interception and a fumble they didn't really get a huge amount going it was mostly going through Zay Flowers when it was and he had some big plays for them uh, some big splash ones but he also made a number of mistakes now he's a rookie so he'll obviously bounce back from them but there was a, was a four or five play sequence where it just it was all Zay Flowers and it was the up and down that you're going to get in that so like you had a ginormous catch and run to get them set up in the red zone then he had a taunting penalty that pushed them back another 10 yards then he had a catch to bring them up in close and then he had another catch that he got all the way down to the half yard line and then fumbled the ball and it was recovered by the Chiefs so it was uh, well to be clear like it was punched out it was punched him, out um, yeah but you know you gotta protect that because also he was dive- ne- never reach for the end zone yeah, it's the number one rule yeah. don't, don't reach for the end zone <laughs> don't dive when you don't have to dive he like he didn't need to be in the air at that point it was it was very silly but like oh, overall like this was a game that was dominated by the two defenses who both played incredibly well and I think you'll see nods to one or two of the players in our discussion of the Pro Bowl rosters later on I struggle a little bit to work out the game plan so like the Chiefs were two scores ahead for pretty much most of the second half I think it was down to about was it four minutes left something like that whenever the Ravens put it the the field goal to make it 17-10 I do get a little bit concerned that like the Chiefs went into a very conservative play calling situation then and they kind of they got away from what 
had gotten them success in the first half and they were fine but there was was it six straight seven straight punts something along those lines it just didn't feel phenomenal but it, it did make me think Sean of what you were saying about potentially this is the evolution that this is the you know your defense is being able to stop them let them make mistakes because you're the experienced team and don't turn the ball over don't make mistakes and you should be fine kind of thing and rely on the defense great performance of the defense great 20 minutes from the offense and then they just kind of sat back and didn't do very much for the rest of it but thankfully because of the defense they didn't have to it's a good win I take it very happy for a game where you say like Travis Kelsey went 11 for 11 for over 100 yards you kind of go oh so they must have been having their way with them and they weren't really after the first half they just kind of Baltimore defense clamped down and did their job and that's the thing like if you're Baltimore and you're looking at this you go okay our defense held the Chiefs to zero points in the second half we should be able to win this game and Lamar for some reason just kept throwing deep passes that were overshooting people by five yards they stopped running the ball and it was just game planning straight out the window I was very confused by the Baltimore stuff in this game particularly against our run defense there's kind of two narratives that kind of you can pick to come out of this game one is the Chiefs are experienced grinding champions etc who will find a way to win all the time and the other narrative is Baltimore absolutely blew it I think both of them are true to a certain extent in that this was a very impressive Kansas City performance in terms of this is how you win a conference championship game when you're not the better team but also the Ravens they may never get a chance this good again for a very long time. I mean, you have to think about it. You know, number one seed at home for the the championship game. Quarterback is basically the MVP of the league. You have the number one defense in the league. Your offense has found all these extra pieces to throw to. You're facing probably the weakest Kansas City team in the six years of the Mahomes era. And you score 10 points and you lose. Like, how do you play this badly in, in a situation this important? And it does come down to a certain extent, at least on the offensive side, as you said, a really strange game plan. Instead of running the ball against what is the run defense is quite a weakness that the Chiefs have, given how good their defense actually is in terms of both stats and, and the eyeball test, the run defense is actually kind of weak. I mean, you said six runs. I saw in one article they had eight runs that were designed runs, and then there were other times, there were one or other two times that Lamar Oh, yeah. Sorry, I, th- I, th- I think it was six called running back runs, and there was two designed yeah, Lamar yeah. runs, and that's where the eight comes from, I think. But but even that, even that is just like that's I mean ridiculous, right? This is one of your major weapons, and you didn't use it. And one of the strange things was this fact that Lamar was staying in the pocket despite facing like uber blitzes for ninety percent of the game. He was staying in the pocket three, four, five seconds trying to find an option to throw to rather than running, which is like the exact opposite of what his strengths are as, as a quarterback. It was very strange. They decided to try and play a passing game and the Chiefs went, okay, we'll just blitz the shit out of you. And they had no, res- the Ravens had no response. Part of it is the, the, the strategy and, and the game plan and the script. Part of it also, you know, there have to be questions about Lamar Jackson in big games. He did not step up in the way that the, the truly elite quarterbacks do in these kind of situations. He didn't stand up a, a, and be noticed. Kind of sunk into his shell a little bit. Tried to prove that he was, he was a throwing quarterback and not a running quarterback and that this was time. And it, it just didn't work. And in the end, the deep ball was basically the only thing that actually worked they had the early touchdown to flowers and then there was the the second later one to flowers as well which was the the taunting penalty and then after that for a solid six or seven plays they just he just kept throwing it long he was like okay we can't beat them they've taken away the middle of the field they've taken away our run game even though we haven't really been using it blitzing the shit out of me but that means the the deep ball is always there so i'll just keep throwing it deep 
constantly and it just it just didn't work and it was just it was really poor on the offensive side from the Ravens and definitely an opportunity blown and given the reputation John Harbaugh Todd Monk and whatever this coaching staff really dropped the ball in terms of putting together an offensive game plan because as you said the defense played really well not necessarily in the first half well on the first half they kind of got out executed in extent it was like oh we'll play man we'll put Hamilton on on Travis Kelsey and that'll be fine and Kelsey went went, well I'll just beat you right if it's one-on-one we'll just beat you and that's what they did the first half was all about it's particularly Travis Kelsey who was having a, a great game but basically all of Kansas City's offense was about we're just going to be the guys who actually get these plays work you you have to physically stop us from catching these balls or running these routes and they were able to do that and then the second half the Ravens started to get a, a handle on the offense and to a certain extent the Chiefs did go quite conservative in terms of play calling in the second half and the Ravens defense must be so frustrated to 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 shut out your opponents in the second half of a conference championship game when you're at home and you, you don't win. It, it's crazy. They allowed Kansas City to control the game in terms of controlling the clock, controlling the pace of play, everything, and they just couldn't get it done. And so for Kansas City, I mean, this is this is who they are. This kind of feels like their identity. And, and increasingly this season, it feels like this is their identity. They are the team that just wins games, right? They just they don't look particularly spectacular. The offense still has numerous problems with it, but they have a strong enough defense and they have Mahomes and Kelty that they will just win these games. They will score seven. 17 points, they'll win a game, but they'll score 20 points if they have to score 20 points or whatever. And it's going to be very hard to bet against them in a Super Bowl, especially when they're coming up against what this defense be coming up against what is quite an inexperienced quarterback. But we'll talk about that next week. So for Kansas City, there's a real dynasty feel about them now. They just are a team that wins all the time. Like I said last week, it's kind of like watching the Pats, but not as a Pats fan. So you're you're kind of got my experience, Connor, and I kind of got your experience now. So it's an interesting dynamic in that sense. For the Ravens, I, I hope they can run it back in some fashion because they're a really good team, an incredible talent, especially on the defensive side, when they get going. But you, you do not get this many opportunities to win a Super Bowl, and they definitely blew this one. They got they got to find a way to not turtle when the very big games come up because it, it feels like they don't. The Chiefs stepped forward in, into big moments. The Ravens felt that, that they shied away from it, and that was a difference in the end. As Napoleon said, never interrupt your enemy when they're making a mistake. <laughs> and that felt like that. This game, in a nutshell, you know, obviously the start of this game, Kansas City and blew the doors off the Ravens' defense. And you kind of felt like if they if they really genuinely thought that the Baltimore Ravens were going to, you know, stop booking up their own lives, that they probably would have got back to some of the aggressive play calling they had earlier on. But they were happy to just run Pacheco into the wall, grind out that clock, and rely on a Spagnolo defense that just seemed to have Lamar Jackson's number. And I think the answer was obvious. And like Connor, as a Chiefs fan, I'm sure you've seen many games where you just went to Andy Reid, which just run the goddamn ball. And that yep. is almost... Certainly what every single Ravens fan was probably shouting for long, long stretches of this game. Because when they were running the ball, it was working fine. And run the ball with Gus Edwards. Like, Justice Hill, cute on the pass plays and the wheel routes. But you got the Gus bus. Just run him down your throat. And he was working it. Like, he nearly seven yards a carry on the three carries he did get. Like, obviously that's not representative. But it gave you an indication that they could have run this ball. But instead, it's Lamar hanging around in the pocket. I would give more credit to Spagnolo for the way his defensive line played. They were very disciplined. It was almost more like a field goal block, it felt like. They were, you know, sticking to their man, not falling down, keeping the pocket there, like kind of enclosed in terms of the circle. Basically, they, then, they learned from the Josh Allen game yesterday or last exactly. week about like needing to keep the, what's it, what's it called, gap discipline. And then they were doing like the field goal thing where you had to put your hands up to get in the way of every single pass. You saw that they were like, get it over us, Lamar, and they got a few blocks at the line and just making Lamar 
like panic a little bit and he just as you, as you mentioned those deep throws were always like you know a yard or two over the, the the other over the receiver like just he had to throw it a little bit too the arc was too high you know it's one of those cases where maybe Russell Wilson would be the better quarterback because he's perfect at those but Lamar hasn't quite got that in his locker yet and they did work getting occasionally explosives like Zay Flowers obviously got the touchdown when Lamar basically magicked his way out of a sack and got it down to Zay Flowers and then in the second half when things were getting desperate they get that huge play to Zay Flowers then you know he stands over the, the the defender gets the taunting penalty they go back you know and then you have two passes one successful the second one you know you're right there at the goal line you know you can dream I'm gonna win this game or at least you know tie this game up for my team obviously he's a rookie like look, look Zay Flowers is a rookie like you know you don't expect him to be you know perfect necessarily but then just to be punished so awfully with the with the touchback rule by that Sneed punch out and like fair fucks to Sneed like we've seen a couple of those over the years but oh, Sneed, know, still was, Sneed was playing yeah Sneed, out, Sneed like. and McDuffie were both like everywhere it felt like they yeah. were playing at an elite level like the, the defensive line was doing well the men who were playing well before they went out Karlaftis played well Jones played well but Sneed and McDuffie they they oh, were yeah. really playing out of their minds in that backfield they even got there was a, a few nights like, planned blitzes off the edge as well from the defensive backs that, that, that helped as well say Flowers like rookie put in that situation and then obviously you know that's the, they talked about he punched the the bench and, and like lacerated his finger and but like the thing is like in those situations the person you expect to calm things down is the quarterback but Lamar was equally emotional bef- you know before that but certainly after that and he just didn't look like he was in control like Lamar is one of the most talented quarterbacks in the league but you know you see the, the ice and the blood from the Brady's and now you're already seeing that from the homes uh, you know only six years into his year and you just don't see that from Lamar like he's like I get it like he's Superman he has so many when, when the game is so easy for you so often I can imagine that when it turns into this like slog that it's very difficult to do that and then to try and just win it yourself just seems inevitable and yeah uh, but I think the Chiefs defense did a really good job of basically going look beat us the hard way and those defensive backs were all over every receiver like a bad rash for the majority of this game and it was just so frustrating for him and maybe a few obviously I don't think he's gonna sneak, like take the, the rushes for like hundreds of yards like he did against uh, the Texans but maybe a few more of those rushes might have been uh, more successful I think they just needed to get the Gus Bus more involved be huge questions about that as a team that has run the ball effectively all the year I think the lowest amount of runs they had from running backs before this game was like 16 you know they have six here so I don't know Todd Munkin there'll be questions for him hopefully they can learn from this and yeah I hope they do come back because Lamar is obviously such a special player and I don't think he deserves the reputation but like you know the way Mahomes is right now it's like Michael Jordan era NBA lots of good players are not going to get their just desserts because he's in that division you Shout- can't you can't say Lamar didn't do everything he could like he threw a pass to himself at one point like <laughs> This is he, tr- he tried to put it all on the line, and uh, that was that was two fingers to Giselle for her comments about uh, Tom Brady not being able to catch the passes himself. But I, I I kind of felt like that was that was the drive where I felt that things weren't going well. Ironically, because like he got the deflection and did the you know deflected way up in the air, he catches the ball himself, ridiculous Lamar magic, and that's fine if that happens once. But then it felt like there was like three or four other plays in that same drive where a Kansas City defender was getting his hand on the ball and deflecting it, and it was at that point I'm going something's not right here like if this many deflections in the same drive is a it's a really bad sign for me they're not respecting the run they're just you know Sean said they're blitzing a lot but it was a very controlled blitz I don't think it wasn't like send the dogs after him type situation I think if when they did like smart blitzes off the edge that were disguised and that worked they were happy to take the sack but when and sometimes like the biggest play that they got in this game was off the, the defender uh, Chanel failing to, to 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 finish the play I think after one second if they weren't there just contain him basically 
Um, and then maybe Omenhu comes around the back in an effort uh, strip sack. But like the reason that the, the Ravens were under pressure from the beginning, I think they almost scrambled their brains, it's because how good the Chiefs were on those first few drives. Like it felt like for the first three or four drives that the Chiefs just had completely outthought and were outplaying McDonald. It wasn't like the Baltimore defense was playing badly early on. It just felt like, yeah, they were being out-schemed, but also when the chips were down, you know, you had Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey getting back to the peak version of themselves. And Mahomes had a good game here, but Travis Kelsey was playing at, like, proper... Uh, Travis Kelsey Levin making spectacular catches, moving the chains, monstering, uh, monstering Kyle Hamilton, who's obviously a great player and made a lot of great plays elsewhere. But not just in that sense, he was also winning the shithousery of the game as well. Like, you know, there was a clip from her before the game where he kicked Justin Tucker's shit out of the way because he was practicing yeah, in the wrong pre- end of the field. He was practicing the wrong end of the field. Like, all these people online going, oh, Justin Tucker, that wasn't very nice. And like, he's fucking warming up on our half of the pitch. Get him the fuck out of there. He says he does it all the time, but whatever. And then when you get into the actual game, you could you could see Kelsey was getting under the skin of the player. And like Kelsey's the one who's going out with Taylor Swift, right? Like he seems like the obvious like target for like the jibes and stuff like that. But he had the number, it felt like, of these Baltimore defenders early on. He was getting in their face to get the, the penalty out of Calvin Noy early on when, you know, Kelsey probably possibly could have got that as well because he was definitely trying to create that kind of reaction. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, combining that shithousery with his absolute dominance in that first half when he was making spectacular catches, moving the chains, just, you know, doing the really slow first down, you know, uh, point and stuff like that, you know, like that's the difference, right? Like, you know, I think as uh, Sean Connery said in The Rock, losers whinge about doing their best, winners go home and fuck the prom queen, right? So that's what Travis Kelsey was like <laughs> in this game. <laughs> Yeah. Like it was funny because actually just what you're saying about the, the the guys getting kind of hot up and, and 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 giving up penalties and letting them under the skin like that was the kind of stuff that the Chiefs were doing in the playoffs seven years ago kind of thing like it, it, it it's probably just a youth on their on on their team although like like you said the likes of Van Noy should know better but yeah. Yeah, he's a veteran defender. Like at the same, and then it just kind of felt like the defense. Like there was a lot of other mistakes made by the defensive. Like there was a flag when someone basically punched uh, Mahomes in the face. Like later on, in a much more critical moment, Clowney gets another penalty for doing a bull rush right helmet to helmet. Like it just felt like this was a defense that was desperate to get a big play. And because the Chiefs established early on, I think that everyone knew. Look, if we need to do this, we'll do this. That they did play more game managers. You said in the second half, but you know they're like look, we'll come back when you're ready to come back in. And they never did. They never stood up. And like, you know, Lamar, I think he's never won a playoff game where the other team has scored more than 12 points. There's going to be questions about that. But, you know, the Chiefs, they're a winning team, winning culture, you know, as I talked about last week, you know, they're the kings, the, the West, king of the AFC, kings of the Super Bowl. And the Baltimore Ravens had their shot and they missed. We'll move over to the NFC side then. We'll have a look at Detroit at San Francisco, 31 to 34. And this is... <laughs> that old adage is a game of two halves. This is a game of two halves. Detroit absolutely heartbroken after finishing the first half up 24-7. to It was kind of undone massively with a lump of stops. So they got stopped on third down, fourth down. They had players dropping balls. Was it Reynolds who dropped three or four of them? They had a fumble. It was just a complete collapse. There's a lot of... Darren Campbell decision making that we have to talk about in this one. For the other side of it, Goff had a fairly clean game, 273 yards and a touchdown. They played fairly well outside of, like, you know, a not great third quarter, part of the fourth quarter. Purdy, 315 yards, a touchdown and interception. Again, this isn't going to, <laughs> this isn't going to do him any favours to all the Purdy haters out there because it's not a phenomenal 
stats line. He was clutch, but a little bit lucky at times in this game. Christian McCaffrey, once they started to get him going in the second half in particular, it was really hard for Detroit to be able to do anything. He had 132 yards and two touchdowns. But yeah, his, his second half versus his first half was remarkable. So Detroit come out of the gate absolutely firing. They score quickly. They then score quickly again to go up by two scores Dan Campbell shows his kind of customary at this point uh, Dan Campbell big balls moves and decides to start going for it on fourth down early and often and uh, mostly going fine for them then they get down to the tail end of the half they're down at the goal line they're up 21 to 7 they're two yards to go and he hymns and haws and decides to take the points and I think the right decision to take the points go up by three scores don't allow any momentum to happen the problem is i think he got into his own head following that about oh maybe i should have gone for that that would have been the killer blow or whatever on it and he just decided to start going for it on fourth down in spots where they didn't need to be going for it there was at least six if not more points left on the table here by him deciding to go for fourth downs when they were in very clear kicking range and when there were still multiple scores up and that would have kept them kind of at distance and maybe settled the ship a little bit like this was a momentum game coming out of the second half San Francisco just said right we are not taking this anymore we are just going to start scoring and scoring and scoring and as you said that was 27 points in the second half that they put up to just seven for for Detroit and Detroit seven came at the tail end so they got down they were down by 10 they were pushing down towards the fourth quarter and this is the one that I think really is going to come back and and, and haunt him for a bit from from, from Campbell's decision making processes was they were down to the goal line they had three timeouts left it was about a minute something like that he decides to go for it on third down instead of a pass play he runs the ball so the problem is I understand to a certain extent he was he was second guessing himself he thought okay it would be the stupidest decision in the world to run the ball here so they're never going to expect it so this should work and I do kind of get that but the problem is they run the ball it doesn't work he has to burn a timeout and that means that for them to be able to get the 10 points they need they're going to have to kick an onside kick and that is you know we've seen the statistics on them ever since we've moved the onside kick and everything it's very very unsuccessful it's about is it four percent something like that at the moment in the league and i think detroit have an even lesser record on that it just it was it was crushing so then they lose the onside kick they obviously lose the game and that stuff and there's two questions here one is obviously the run is a bad play but you pass i think i think the decision shouldn't be a consideration of run there I think you pass there and if you don't get it you kick the field goal because then you have your three timeouts and you need your defense to stop them and you can get the ball back with some time left I think that's your only play in that spot but Detroit tried to keep up the aggression and they just fell off in the second half I've seen a lot of analysis I'd be interested to know what you guys think about could it be that they kind of overshot too much in the first half that they were actually quite tired or is it just purely an adjustments thing We'll never know. Like, I think it's one of those games where that third quarter went so horribly in so many facets that sometimes shit happens. For me, the, 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 the ending sequence that you talked about there in detail is the only unforgivable thing. That's the only one that I go, that was genuinely just a fuck up. Like, if you're going to do that, you need to be ready to run your field goal unit out. Or you need to have basically two plays lined up immediately ready to go off that. Like, yes, you'll probably lose, like, 20 seconds off the clock like that's not great but I'd rather do that and get the field goal quickly or go for like whatever your fork and take the time out and basically be reliant on an onside kick onside kicks they never work like unless you have young way coup basically and, and like the whole kicker thing yes there's probably some times where the kick might have been by analytics like the slightly better choice but I think both of those fourth downs that, that people talk about uh, were marginal at best in terms of taking the points or not and Michael Badgley you know like you know the excuse people give is like Michael Badgley's not that good a kicker it's like well that's not really an excuse that's like more of a criticism of 
your roster construction. But regardless, like it's a situation where that timeout at the end, I think it's the only one I go, that's on Dan Campbell. He's going to have to learn from that. And he's either going to have to take the safe analytics play, which is, you know, throw the ball. Or if you're going to do the crazy thing, have the second crazy thing lined up. Don't be wasting your time out and killing basically any chance of winning the game, uh, even though you got like a very impressive touchdown from Jamison Williams on the fourth down conversion. No, like the first half of this game, similar to the, the Rams game, they were just unstoppable. They were able to, it felt like they'd found, you know, the chink in the armor, like the, the porthole in like the Death Star, and they were just like running it really effectively down the throats of this San Francisco defensive line. You like saw guys like Chase Young basically disappear from the entire game because they were so aggressively taking him out. Because of that, they were able to get what I thought they might have difficulty doing, which was getting the ball uh, to Amon Ra in particular, who had a really impressive first half, but yet was barely used in the second half. That was really confusing. Like both the drops were by Josh Reynolds and you're kind of like... Look, like the, the first one is fair enough because Josh Reynolds was wide open. He There's no way he shouldn't have made that catch. The second one was like it was mostly a busted play. They kind of lost that play. Like Amon Ron in the first half dominating, Laporta playing really, really well, Gibbs playing really well, Montgomery running at, at will. And then like, you know, Gibbs was playing really well, but he's also the guy who fumbled the ball in the third quarter, which was like such a huge swing. You've just had that failed fourth down. They've just scored the uh, touchdown off it, I believe. And then you fumble the ball straight away and they score another touchdown. Now the game is tied and you're going, God fucking damn it. Because like my number one analysis point about this game is that this fucking sucks. Like, you know, this is just heartbreaking to see them get that way and once you let a team like this 49ers in and like the like i think you know we thought you know the 49ers are not a team that can come back historically that's been true but now it's two weeks in a row that they've come back against inexperienced teams and shown that maybe they have become more battle tested that they now have that metal in them and that maybe brock purdy for all of his flaws and i'll talk about in a moment is more clutch and ready to go than Jimmy G ever was. That, you know, when chips are down, he is still someone who believes in himself and is willing to do crazy stuff. Like, yes, the biggest play of his game was like a, a, a pass that deflected off the defender's uh, visor into the hands of Brandon Ayuk. It may or may not have been a DPI, like there was a, a flag picked up. I don't know what the situation there, but like that was, that felt like such a oh, heartbreaking yeah. moment. And like, you know, there was like people like Dan Hans on Twitter saying, like, I fucking hope this doesn't become like the, the, the butt fumble or, or some other like moment that's just seared into the minds of, of Detroit uh, Lions fans because of course like as Dan Campbell said himself to his players after the game it's really really hard to get to this point to get this close to a Super Bowl you may never get back to this point obviously said he believes otherwise just ask the Atlanta Falcons after 28-3 and that moment could become defining for an entire generation of Lions, play- Lions players and Lions uh, fans hopefully not we goddamn hope not but you know it's, it's a possibility to just fall down like it's not like they like i think once once they like the, they had all those jitters in that kind of third quarter early fourth quarter they were dropping balls on third down they dropped the fourth down ball obviously josh reynolds uh, there was a couple of other cat drops as well uh, and obviously the fumble uh, but when they when it got down to even like the, the i think the four nines were still the better team but they did calm down and you saw some return back the semblance of you know why the lions were so dominant in the first half but at that point it was just a little bit too late four had that long like five minute nearly touchdown drive uh count by Elijah Mitchell that that was kind of the killing blow it felt like in this 49ers team which is so has been so unclutch at times in the Shanahan era I suddenly got it going but yeah like Purdy 
like I think you know like the obviously the, the play that stands out is the big throw but he did make a couple of clutch scrambles in this game in the second half he got the ball some impressive throws like one at the Uzhek uh stands out a couple of the Ayuk the, the touchdown to Ayuk was quite nice Debo Samuel had a good impact here especially yards after the catch and obviously CMC I don't know who pissed off who pissed in CMC's breakfast that morning but he was playing like a man on fire he was absolutely rollicking and bollocking over guys and making guys like Anzalone look like they you know they were playing for a high school team like 49ers all the credit to them in the second half they played at a super high elite level but they were only given those chances and so many chances because the lions gave them those chances many a couple of those chances were free and that was all the creek that needed for this great 49ers team to take advantage but to be in that position for a team that's you know a franchise that's had so little luck for so many years you know it, it's heartbreaking uh, and i i really genuinely hope that we see this lion team under dan campbell come back next year and be as good as they were here we have the entire offseason to worry about that but yeah this will sting for a while yeah, so, so Ronan dropped a Napoleon quote Find on the other game analysis. I'm going to drop one on this. It's better to have a lucky general than a good one. And if we learned anything from this game is that Brock Purdy is a lucky general. I came away from this game being less convinced that Brock Purdy is a good quarterback than I was at the start. Aside from the one that one fluke throw and a couple of opportunistic runs, he didn't do a particularly terrible amount. But in the end, there's just so much talent around him that, that, that they they got away with it. It is hard to focus because we're all big Detroit fans here and the Lions, let's be honest, it's there's a good chance they never get this close again or that it's another 30... 33 years before we're talking about the Lions uh, in the NFC Championship okay. game. I'm just listening to the sound of every Lions fan unsubscribing <laughs> from the podcast at the moment. <laughs> it's just like people talk about, oh, you can run it back, run it back. But historically, with teams like this in particular, with franchises that don't tend to be, you know, historically successful, it does tend to be one and done. The, the thing tends to fall apart and much harder to reconstruct. Even that the Lions team that was so good 30 years ago, they had like, they were like 5 and 11 the season after they almost won the NFC Championship game. So, But I don't want to focus on the Lions because I think the Lions played really well in the first half. Obviously, the, the O-line was dominant. Goff was doing all the right things. The run game was, 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 was making an awful lot of hay. But, to, I mean, two things happened in that second half. The first one is that San Francisco realized and remembered how good they were that on the offensive side in particular they started to make certain adjustments in terms of the personnel that they were running and the the approach and that Detroit didn't counter adjust in terms of the defense that that opened it up and also just Christian McCaffrey decided to start doing things Debo Samuel started to start doing things and one big thing about San Francisco in that second half is they remained committed to the run game and I think this is the big difference between the two number one seeds why the Ravens lost and why the 49ers won the Ravens abandoned the run game very quickly and got into playing the game the way Kansas City wanted to the Niners even when they were down 17 points never gave up on the run game and they kept at it and eventually because they have a really good run game uh, it paid off so I do think you got to give credit to San Francisco we, we talked about them not you know being comeback phobic or whatever but now whatever about the the, the mini comeback of, of last week against the Packers this was a proper you know like historic comeback I mean I think it's the biggest comeback in a in a championship game so I think you got you got to start by saying San Francisco you know, they got themselves into a hole, but they demonstrated why they were number one seeds at the end and pulled it out. And per, I mean, the Brock Purdy question, I think, is going to continue on and on. And 
We're going to see in the Super Bowl because I think Kansas City's defense is going to cause them an awful lot of problems. And it will be very much up on the shoulders of people like Debo and CMC and Ayuk to, to keep making those plays, keep finding ways to get those yardage because they're not going to be getting the level of quarterback help that Kansas City will be getting from Mahomes. But I do think before we talk about what went wrong with the Lions, it's important to acknowledge that San Francisco at least played a re- like they played a really good second half and they completely turned the game around. What happened in terms of why it shifted, I think people talk about momentum being this ephemeral, non-existent thing. It's not an actual thing. You can't, you can't measure it statistically. And that may be true. But one thing that definitely is true is confidence, is, is when players believe they're going to win versus when players believe they're not going to win. And what I, I genuinely think happened in the Lions in the second half is they were an inexperienced team in a situation that most of them have never been in. And things started to go against them. And they thought, well, we maybe we're not going to win this one suddenly their massive lead was was starting to get very small indeed and they were sitting across standing across from a very 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 good team and being like how the hell are we going to stop these guys from scoring Uh, and I genuinely believe it was a confidence momentum thing where San Francisco conversely suddenly realized that things were going right for them and therefore they started to believe it and and I psychology is is such an important part of, of sport that is I think underappreciated in all ways because now we have the we have the stats and we can measure things and analyze, but we don't think enough. I think about the psychology of people in these kind of situations, and, and I think that needs to be done. I will say one thing: is I don't think we should blame Dan Campbell. I, I think in terms of the two fourth quarter fourth fourth and whatever decisions in the second half. I mean, both of those were fifty fifty calls. I think you've got to trust Dan Campbell. That situation to go as good, right? He knows his players. He knows what's gotten them into this situation. He knows what kind of philosophy and ideology is drilled into them. And he says to attack, uh, and then so that they attack. I think if you start to get away from that, which a lot of people, my, you know, my social media has been bombarded with people going, oh, Dan Campbell blew this. If you start getting away from being the guy who's aggressive and fought down, you turn into Brandon Staley, right? You turn into a guy who's just completely second-guessed himself all the time and does it like half the time, and it's always the wrong half because you're constantly second-guessing of when you should or shouldn't. I admire Dan Campbell for going for it in those situations. I, I think we should support that kind of situation. Now, the, the question about what to do on the goal line, with a minute left do you run a run play they have a really good run game they were a yard and a half out I don't actually think it's a terrible decision to go for a run in that situation it's again it it comes down to what we've been talking about Dan Campbell and his philosophy for the for the entire season is he he trusts his players his entire thing is I trust you to do the things that I think you can do. And the players, they buy into that. They're like, this guy believes that I am good enough to, to be the quarterback of, a, of a, you know, a division-winning team or to be the star running back of a team or to, or to be the star you know, cornerback or whatever. And so the players play up to that. And I think in that situation, you have a really good run game, a yard and a half, two yards out. Just give it to your running back and it either works or it doesn't. I think we focus too much on being, even in the area of analytics when people should be getting away from it, I think we focus too much on results or we're too results oriented. I don't think it's a bad call in that situation. I think it's the one that maximizes your chance of winning the game. And I, and I genuinely do think that because I don't know necessarily this idea that if you kick the field goal and then try and stop a San Francisco team that has literally scored 27 points on you in the last like five drives or something, I, I, just, I just don't buy that as a, as, a, as a thing. I don't buy that you can necessarily expect like, that your defense would be able but, to... But if they were down by seven, it would have been different or, or whatever. But like once it's an onside kick situation, like as I said, like I don't have a problem with running the run play if you have a contingency... If that's just like, you know, like, okay, you're only going to have like, what, 40 seconds probably left on the clock. 
when you run your fourth down play, uh, whether that's be run your field goal unit out there or take a pass, like whatever. But take you know taking the time out so you can do the the correct fourth down call, which was correct. They got the touchdown, but then to have a be contingent on onside kick succeeding after that. That, for me, will always be the wrong decision. I think they were very unlikely to win in that situation anyway, and I think they'd maximize their possibility of scoring in that situation, and I don't begrudge that. I definitely think that we, it, with the Lions, it is different in the sense that this team is built upon having a, co- a coach who is aggressive, and the team buys into that. And if, if Dan Campbell starts walking away from that himself, I think it undermines the confidence his players have in him in the long run as well. So, we, we, yeah, I, I don't blame any of the decision-making. I think the Lions, I mean, I think the Lions did really well to be where they were. I think that it's been an incredible year for them, and I think we need to tip our cap in terms of what they've achieved. And I don't question the decision-making of Dan Campbell whatsoever. The big problem for me is, will they be able to run it back next year? There probably will, I don't know what the free agency situation is, but I imagine one or two pieces much. won't be won't be able to stick around. There's a momentum thing. There's a, suddenly now they are the big dogs and teams will be coming at them and they'll yeah. be prepared for them and they'll have tape on them, etc. So it will be tougher next year. Then also, because you'd win a division, you have a tougher schedule, the way the NFL is designed, which I, I don't necessarily agree with, but that's neither here nor there. But I hope to see them back next year. And I, and I think they have a core of a good team that if they do stick together, they have a really good chance. But like the Ravens, I do maybe fear that this was will be thought about in 20 years as the one that got away. It does have the air of being a thing that Detroit fans talk about in in bars or whatever as being, I was there, man, when we almost won that game and we could have won it all, et cetera, et cetera. And I don't want that to be the continuation of the Lions kind of self-narrative, but it's starting to feel that way. This one's got to hurt. It, it, these things can't perpetuate. Hopefully stand back next year, suspect that they won't. And for the 49ers, flawed team, I think, probably more flaws than we thought that they had. And I think the, the Super Bowl will be a tougher game than they, most people think it might be for them. You've got to give them credit for having the confidence and the gumption to pull it back and get that comeback when they weren't a comeback team in the first place. So, so all credit to them. And up next, we will talk about the big game, I suppose, the Pro Bowl. So, Pro Bowl hype. Let's talk through what we've got here. AFC versus NFC. Uh, they're being coached by the Manning brothers. Uh, Eli has the NFC. Peyton has the AFC. The way it's going to work is on Thursday's skills challenge. So, precision passing with multiple quarterbacks. Uh, best catch, which is kind of a court. It's recorded and voted on. A golf tournament, a punting competition, dodgeball, and everyone's favorite kick-tack-toe, which is tic-tac-toe with the kickers. And on Sunday, they have a Madden game, gridiron gauntlet, which is kind of like an obstacle course, a tug of war. Uh, move the chains which is yeah kind of a, a weird kind of 2000 pound wall thing five by five pull off and then they have a, a seven by seven versus seven flag football game which is going to be uh, exciting it does i will say the seven on seven flag football game will probably not focus too much on the linemen we'll, we'll, we'll see how that goes yeah let's have a little look then at the pro bowl rosters and see where we agree disagree on these ones so afc quarterback that was selected was Tua Tugavailoa. Nope, I don't think so. (laughs) I've gone for Lamar Jackson because he's the MVP of the league and he was really good. I think I'd go Lamar as well, particularly given we're looking at a flag tournament, so I think he'd probably work quite well in a flag tournament. (laughs) That's true. I I didn't know that was selection criteria. I was like, who's the best player this year? But yeah, look, I think Lamar is probably the fair pick, but I think Josh Allen deserves some love. I think the way he pulled his team from the brink out of the AFC contenders gave the Chiefs the biggest scare, I suppose. Fair enough. Fullback Alec Ingold. Uh, Rowan, you prefer Patrick Ricard. 
historically been sometimes a two-way player. Got to respect that. Now, uh, running back, they have Raheem Mozart. Sean said he wants James Cook instead. I can see the Cook thing. I think the Mozart was probably just more on the, the entirety of the season, whereas James Cook was definitely better in the back half. I, I think Cook might have ended up with more yards than Mozart by the end of the season. He but he, he, he missed he missed some games because of injury as well. Yeah, he, he only beat up on the Cowboys. Who gives a fuck about that? But like, look, Mozart's <laughs> like a 30-plus running back with like 20-plus touchdowns. That deserves respect. I think like... Is he like the best running back in the league? Probably not, but I know is he helped by that offense? Certainly, but hey, you gotta give respect like a guy coming through that and doing that late in his career. Fair play. Next up, wide receiver Tyree Kill. Yeah, that makes sense. The second wide receiver, Amari Cooper, very much feels like name over game. Cooper was fine. He had a couple of really good games, especially with uh, Joe Flacco. He had that one really big game. Yeah, but, he was uh, fine. There was no one. There was no one who really stood out. Like apart from the fact that all three of us universally think it should be Nico Collins. But that's more of a like vibes pick where it's like, yeah, yeah he's yeah. a cool story and he definitely overperformed what you'd expect at the beginning of the season from Nico Collins. Plus CJ Stroud deserves some love by proxy, effectively. Tight end, Travis Kelsey. Yeah, makes sense, particularly at the form he's been in of more late. More a function of there isn't a tremendous amount of other tight ends in the AFC that are any good. So then we get on to the offensive line. Laramie Tunstall and Deion Dawkins at tackle. So happy with Tunstall. Are you guys thinking Teron Armstead or Raymond at tackle instead for the second tackle? Guards, we have Joel Batonio, who we're all happy with, and Quentin Nelson. And we've all gone for Joe Tooney instead. And at centre, Creed Humphreys. That's yeah, a pretty like- good line, to be honest. The thing is, Nelson's very much like a hater pick because like, he's obviously living off the reputation he had in his first couple of years where he was like all-pro dominant mm. guy. And he, he actually he's actually played well this year. It was thankfully a, a comeback for pretty much all the Colts' uh, offensive line. But Dooney, I think, huge uh, for that team. Chief will be hopefully getting him back in the Super Bowl, though that's kind of a 50-50 proposition right now. But yeah. And for the second, yeah, Tunsil was amazing like this year. And even though he missed a bunch of games at the start of the season. But yeah, second offensive tackle, Dawkins, Armstead, Raymond. I think Armstead's probably the best one, but he did miss some number of games games as well so it's probably why Dawkins or Raven might get it over him but yeah I do think he's the best he's the best player oh, yeah. when he's gone the Dolphins are way worse let's move to the defensive side uh, defensive ends Miles Garrett and Max Crosby yep that yep. seems fair to me both are very 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 good defensive tackle we have Chris Jones and Quentin Williams so we're happy on the Chris Jones one but kind of in the Ravens a bit of love we all think that Justin Matabike should be the second defensive tackle there he absolutely was wrecking shot particularly in the playoffs of late so I think he makes a Good bit more sense than Williams. The, he, got the, he has the splashy statistics, got a bunch of sacks. Mm. He's probably a big beneficiary of big man Michael Pierce doing the, 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 the rough work there for the Ravens. But yeah, Williams will have plenty of these ops going forward. I think uh, a breakthrough player like Matty BK deserves, uh, deserves his time in the sun. Yeah, second line of defense, the linebackers. So we have TJ Watt and Khalil Mack at outside linebacker and Roquan Smith in the middle. So we're happy with TJ Watt. You guys would swap Khalil Mack in for Josh Allen. I'd probably agree with that, to be honest. Mack didn't have a Mack, biggest season, to be honest. It's well, just, he had like some splash play, splash yeah. games where he got a bunch of sacks. But again, it's a Pro Bowl, of... so it's based on the fact that he's he's well-known at this point. Yeah, like He's been true. traded between teams multiple times. Yeah. And his, stuff. his actual stat sacks are actually very good, but mm. it's based on, I think, two or three games where he had like really large number of sacks of our core yeah and then and josh allen like he's a player we're all kind of hoping would push through especially for the hilarious josh allen josh allen crimes there's no one else outside of what that stands out as like oh they have to be in the pro bowl yeah roquan smith at middle linebacker a suggestion here from sean as well to put patrick queen in there who was playing very well as well so yeah patrick queen was nobody till roquan smith came into the ravens so i know who's the better (laughs) i know who's the batman and who's the robin you know (laughs) 
Okay, on to uh, to the the defensive backs. We've got Pat Sertain and Sauce Gardner at cornerback. We'd swap out Sertain for Trent McDuffie, myself and Sean. Yeah, it's it's one of those weird situations because McDuffie's obviously more of a nickelback. You know, there's no official nickelback position for, uh, obviously, uh, discrimination against, like, 2000s Canadian bands, whatever. So it's... You know, Sertain had a really good season. Honestly, to a certain extent, uh, this season, if we're just going off this season, I might have replaced Gardner with McDuffie instead. But yeah, like the, like they're all worthy contenders. Like McDuffie yeah. certainly deserves a situation. Then at safety, we have free safety Justin Simmons and strong safety Kyle Hamilton. Uh, you were suggesting possibly Javon Holland instead of yeah. Justin Simmons. Uh, Justin Simmons is a good player. Javon Holland are good players. There's no yeah. one who stands out as strong safety. It's kind of a... Safety is a weird position because like, there's very few like one high free safeties right now because Duchelle is so prominent yeah kicker was Justin Tucker we're not putting him in so myself and Sean are going for Butker and Ronan's going for Dustin Hopkins do you know why because Justin Tucker's a scrub and he's washed because I think Butker had much better stats this year I think Tucker's Mm. stats are actually quite mid this year I think it's like 85% which is quite mediocre by kicker standards yeah like you're gonna have 20 pro bowls by the end anyway i think you can skip one season justin yeah <laughs> and uh our special teamers of punter aj cole got miles kilbrew and marvin miller returner seems grand overall pretty tasty looking team there on the nfc side quarterback was brock purdy no nope <laughs> I I didn't even pick who I'd replace it with. I was just like, nope. Uh, so you've got Matt Stafford, Dak Prescott. One of those guys would definitely be an improvement there. I, I think Stafford is just more reliable. I know Dak had flashier moments this season, but Stafford is the guy. If you're in the trenches and you need a quarterback, Matt Stafford is your guy. I would trust Dak Prescott oh, yeah. in, a, in a key crunch situation whatsoever. Fullback. Kyle Juszczyk, yep, that follows. And uh, Christian McCaffrey at running back, very solid. I don't think anyone's voting for anyone except for CMZ. No. Uh, CeeDee Lamb, yeah, CeeDee Lamb for one of our wide receivers. And they have AJ Brown, who kind of fell off a, oh. fell off a cliff, so we're saying no. You guys have gone for Amon Ross and Brown. I am going with Puka Nakua because I thought he had a phenomenal season. I'd like to see him out there. No, uh, that's pretty good. Uh, George Kittle at tight end. No, I don't think so. I I go Sam Laporta, but I think Sean did as well. It's not. It's not been Kittle. It was not Kittle's best year by any stretch of the imagination. Not at all. I think not Sam Laporta stood out a lot more. Uh, he like in terms of his stats, I think he's a little bit ahead of Laporta in terms of yards, a little bit lower on tie touchdowns. So it's it's a take it or leave it type problem. It's the eyeball it's test. Fits the yeah. eyeball test. You know, it depends what you want out of a tight end. Like Kittle's obviously a much better blocker than Laporta. Yeah, is. which is what you want in flag football. <laughs> uh, Once again, tackle Trent Williams. Yeah, that makes sense. And yeah, Lane Johnson, we said no, uh, Penny Sewell instead. Give the yeah, a little bit of late season bias, but by the end of the season, Sewell was out there wrecking mm. shop, especially once you get that man out in the open field. Yeah, guard Zach Martin and Chris Lindstrom, which seems fine. And center Jason Kelsey. Sean's gone for Frank Ragnar. I can see the Frank Ragnar thing, but uh, yeah, I think the Kelsey was kind I, of uh, like kind of you know it's the end 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 of a career thingy. Ragnar was Ragnar was very good now, I suppose this, this season. But uh, I, I, I you know I understand the Kelsey thing. He's a legend, and you want to acknowledge it, etc. But I do want it. The Ragnar thing is just is my own kind of personal give him love. He was. The reason the Lions' O-line was so strong was largely because yeah. of Ragnow. And the reason, yeah. I think every time Ragnow was out was when Jared Goff had his horrible game. So he's very much a steadying yeah, force on Jared Goff, which is a very important part of the Lions' thing uh, as well. I don't, know, I don't know if it's a point in favor or against, but Jason Kelsey is certainly the most innovative offensive lineman because he is basically... He is the tush-push. Push. Push. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I don't know if that 
They also, they also apparent, apparently so. every time they call the tush push <laughs> for, for, for the Ravens, or sorry, for the for the Eagles, he would just turn around and go, ah, for fuck's sake, and then turn around to do it. Because he said it's very, very painful what he does on each of them. Defensive end, Nick Bosa, yeah, we're going to stick with that. And Montez Sweat, myself and Sean have gone for Aiden Hutchinson's instead of Sweat. I, I, I get the Hutchinson thing, but I think Sweat's more impressive achievement of going to a terrible defense and it's suddenly been pretty good. I think that's a sign of quality, in my opinion. I don't know. Uh, I'd, I'd take Hutchinson over him anyway, but maybe that's just a... Uh, by a defensive tackle, Aaron Donald, who else could it be? Uh, Dexter Lawrence, yeah. Then we've got linebackers, Micah Parsons, yes. Daniel Hunter, yes. Although Sean suggested Demario Davis. I think he's more an inside linebacker than outside linebacker, but I just, I mean, he's just very solid and reliable and it's... I wanted to give him recognition and I couldn't... Mm. I couldn't take out Warner or Parsons, so I thought I'd slot him in there. It's it's the classic four-three uh, outside linebacker discrimination, you know. Like KJ mm. Wright was a big victim of that for many years. Middle linebacker Fred Warner, which is grand. Defensive backfield, Deron Bland. Yep, he's got a lot of picks this year. And uh, It's very much like the Trevon Diggs thing. It's like, is yeah, he the best cornerback? No, eh, but, but he got all those picks. A lot so. of picks. Yeah, <laughs> pick sixes, I should say. Yeah, yeah and uh, Traverius Ward uh, at the other yeah. one. You suggested no Jalen Johnson instead. Uh, I, I think Ward had a pretty good stand. year, but yeah. Oh, he did, yeah. But like, I don't think anyone stands as. <clears> he also has the best name, Traverius Ward. He's like, yeah. the, What's that joke about him being the next evolution of Charizard? Yeah, Charmeleon. Uh, kind of sounds like Traverius. Yeah. Free safety, Jesse Bates. We're happy with that. Strong safety, Buda Baker. No, we've all gone for Antoine Winfield we're, Jr. We're all cheating because Winfield's more of a free safety. Let's be honest. But Buda yeah. Baker, that's pure name wreck. Like, like it he is. Was, he was fine. And like the, the the Cardinals defense outperformed, but you know Buda Baker's right. have a much better season than this year. Uh, Brandon Aubrey's a kicker, which is great. Uh, you can just have someone else kick the point afters. Punter was Brian Anger, who uh, we all disagree with, and we want a bit of Irish representation. So uh, Dan Whelan. Get him in there. Not biased at all. Not biased nope. at all. Jalen Reeves Maven on special teams and the returner of Rashid Shahid, who was kind of like a big, big play guy, been consistent. Shahid's a more complete player. He actually does stuff on offense. But Nixon, I think the stats and analytics yeah. is slightly better. But yeah, yeah. So that's uh, that's good. So out of these two, what do we what do we like the look of more? I think in a year where quarterback wasn't king, surprisingly, like this was not the year, certainly for the regular season, where quarterbacks were the defining element. For a lot of this year, it was about running the ball well. It was about having good defense. I go through the roster and I go, I give a slight edge for once in the NFC. Because any QB given year for the last five years, you had to have to go for the AFC. So I'm going for the NFC this year. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm picking AFC, but my caveat is that I think it's a lot closer than it was last year. Last year, it was AFC was in, incredibly dominant in terms of the talent. I think it's much closer this year. The NFC has definitely stepped up in terms of a lot of the talent has developed and they you know, people like Jesse Bates have moved over and stuff. So there's there's definitely the NFCs on the rise. Even if in terms of pure football, I think probably the three best teams in the NFL are all in the AFC this year. So and the quarterback thing is a, is a weird thing where like all the good quarterbacks are in the AFC. I'm gonna just on the on the basis of uh, coaching, I'm gonna side with the AFC of uh, Peyton over Eli. I, think. I don't know. I think I would actually trust Eli Manning to be a better coach than Peyton Manning. It kind of feels he's more he's more kind of shifty. Has to work like. Peyton had his talent and he just he just talented his way to success whereas Eli had to work his ass off for everything yeah, that he got which, which, so I think he'd be more which fits perfectly more, with what we're saying about the QB situations for both teams as well right although actually I suppose the thing is we have the selections we don't have who's actually going to be playing because like obviously 
Brock Purdy, oh. Christian McCaffrey, and Kyle Juszczyk will yeah. not oh, be yeah. in there. I, I expect the Tyler Huntley we, or whatever will be starting as per usual. Yeah. We obviously have no analysis of who's actually going to be playing because by the time you listen to this and the time it's Sunday, it'll be like different replacements at that point. So, yeah. yeah. Basically, there's no point in trying to analyze There is, there is a non-zero program. chance that one of us makes it. <laughs> <laughs> The thing that always throws me off, I look at it and kind of go, oh, this is who I think would win the flag football game. But then there's all the other points for the other stuff as well. 30 points up for grabs, basically. So basically, you get three points per skill challenge you win, and then that will be the starting score of the uh, flag football game. There's some actual tension involving the skills challenge that has an impact on the, the chance of winning the, the actual proper game. But look, right. flag football is a, a growing game. They want to grow it. I think that's a positive for all. So, uh, and certainly, I think players are more likely to do things in that than they were in the uh, contact game. And the flag stuff well, is going to help them as well because there's a big push from the NFL on the flag side yeah. of things with flag being added to the Olympics and all that. So, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I think we'll be seeing a little bit more of a, a focus in on that. Because we're seeing an interesting thing with rugby at the moment where rugby sevens is an Olympic sport this year in France. And so you're seeing some of the best players uh, like Antoine Toupont trying out for their teams in the sevens rugby, they're, they're 15s players. So four-year time when it's in the US, it'll be really interesting to see who if any, uh, big NFL players decide to give it a shot in the Olympics. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this day. Like, nice weekend of chilling out. I might, I might catch the highlights of the of the flag football part of the Pro Bowl and definitely the kick tac toe. But uh, a nice kind of like you know center ourselves and prepare for the for the big Super Bowl adventure. We'll obviously be back next week and we'll break that down in depth and all the matchups to look out for and what we think will and won't happen strategy wise and stuff. And we can all be proved entirely wrong after that. So we've all got that to look forward to. So I suppose that wraps up for this week. So it'll be bye for myself, bye from Fitz, bye. bye for John, this is all for a quarter section.